the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. He indicts them for being apathetic and unmotivated about the things of God, not having any real zeal for God or any spiritual fervor for the things of God. This is his concern for them. They've been sitting around. They've not been engaged. They've been apathetic about things spiritually. Now, how do we know that this is not a complimentary thing that he's saying here? This is actually a rebuking thing. Because of verse 10, right before this verse, in verse 10, God says, A curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. In your walk with Christ, do you ever get too comfortable? Do you ever feel good enough with where you stand through God that you just stop putting in the work? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that you need to always be working for God's kingdom. No matter where you're at in your faith, if you want to remain in closeness with God, you need to make an effort to keep the relationship. God can't do all of the work alone. If you want to experience the wondrous things that He has in store for your life, then you need to partner alongside Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 46, as he begins his message, Don't Whine About It. Well, if you have your places there now in Jeremiah chapter 46, let me just explain to you going forward, there's a dramatic shift that happens in the book of Jeremiah from this point to the end. Here in chapter 46, God is going to turn his attention to others besides his own Jewish people of Judah. The first 45 chapters of the book of Jeremiah God spoke exclusively to the Jewish people living in Judah, which is the southern territory of Israel. And God spoke to the Jewish people through the prophet, primarily Jeremiah. There were other prophets during the time, but the book of Jeremiah is about the words that God spoke through Jeremiah to the Jewish people living in Judah. That's the first 45 chapters. And those first 45 chapters detail, as Jeremiah warned them, If the people don't turn from their rebellion against God and their idolatry and their sin, then God's going to bring the Babylonians and he's going to use them to discipline the people he loves. And unfortunately, the Jewish people decided to turn a deaf ear to the prophets. They did not turn their heart towards God. And so God, faithful and true to his word, the Babylonians come. And over a period of 20 years, from 606 BC to 586 BC, The Babylonians ransack Judah, eventually destroy Jerusalem, and take captive thousands of Jews and deport them the thousand miles to Babylon, where they will spend the next 70 years. 
And so in the first 45 chapters, that's what is happening. And God's dealing with his people that he loves. He's dealing with the Jewish people. He's dealing with the people of Judah. And then this shift happens in chapter 46, where God now turns his attention to the Gentile nations around Judah. And the reason he's going to speak to them and rebuke them, and he's going to speak judgment against them, is because they played a large role in the Jewish people's decline spiritually. The Jewish people started to adopt the pagan gods of the Gentile nations around them, and the Jewish people started to worship these pagan gods of the Gentile nations around them. So God's got something to say to the Gentile nations. The next few chapters here from 46 on, God's going to deal with the neighbors who are a bad influence on the Jewish people. Let me just paint a scenario. This would be like your kids start smoking weed and you find out your kid starts smoking weed because the neighbor kid introduced your kid to weed. Now, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to deal with your kid first. They're going to get the first 45 chapters. All right. But then you're going to have a serious conversation with that neighbor kid. You're going to go over next door and you're going to have a serious conversation with that neighbor kid and you're going to give new meaning to the term weed whacker. That's what's going to happen. You're going to whack that kid. And so that's what's happening here. 46 on, God's like, I'm going to deal with the neighbor kid because you've been a bad influence on my kids. And so if you just do a quick survey with me, look at your Bibles, and I just want to point out, most of your Bibles have subtitles over each chapter and some within the chapter. And so you'll see chapter 46, do you notice that it's addressed to Egypt? So chapter 46, God's going to address Egypt. Just survey it with me in your Bibles. Chapter 47, he addresses the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are no longer a people group. It is a misnomer to think that the Palestinian people are descendants of the Philistines. They are not. The Philistine people were a seafaring people, and they're gone now. But he addresses them in chapter 47. Chapter 48 is addressed to Moab. Moab, on a map today, is central Jordan, the central region of the country of Jordan, east of the Jordan River. Chapter 49, he addresses several countries, Ammon. Ammon is the northern part of Jordan. You know, the capital city of Jordan today is Ammon. It's in the northern part of Jordan. Ammon is named after Ammon, spelled just a little bit differently, but it's the same region. Also in chapter 49, see a subtitle in your Bibles, to Edom. Edom is the southern part of Jordan. And then also further in chapter 49, Damascus. God addresses Damascus, same Damascus. We're talking Syria. Also in chapter 49, he talks to Kedar and Hazor. Kedar is parts of Saudi Arabia. Hazor is a region north of the Galilee on the border with Syria. Also in chapter 49, he closes with a word to Elam. Elam on a map is southern Iran. He's going to deal with them. And then chapters 50 and 51, he spends the most time talking to Babylon. He's going to indict Babylon on some charges too. Even though God used Babylon, Babylon exceeded what God's intention was for them. And so God's got a word against Babylon in chapters 50 and 51. Next week, we're going to conclude the book of Jeremiah by looking at God's word to the country, the empire of Babylon. And then chapter 52 of Jeremiah, the last chapter, is really an epilogue. And we'll talk about how Jeremiah didn't even write chapter 52. The end of chapter 51 ends by telling us these are the words of Jeremiah. So he closes his prophetic word. Chapter 52 is an epilogue. We'll touch on it briefly next week. What I'd like us to focus on today, if you would, 
is back in chapter 48. If you'll go back to chapter 48, now that you've seen a survey, God addressing all these various Gentile nations that were bad influences on Judah, I'd like us to see something here that God says to the nation of Moab. Now again, Moab is the region of central Jordan on a map. And I want to read with you from chapter 48, verses 9 to 13, and then we're going to pray and just commit our Bible study to the Lord. But here in Jeremiah 48, starting at verse 9, down through verse 13, we read this. Put salt on Moab, for she will be laid waste. Her towns will become desolate, with no one to live in them. A curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. A curse on him who keeps his sword from bloodshed. Moab has been at rest from youth, like wine left on its dregs, not poured from one jar to another. She has not gone into exile, so she tastes as she did, and her aroma is unchanged. But days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send men who pour from jars, and they will pour her out. They will empty her jars and smash her jugs, and then Moab will be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed when they trusted in Bethel. Now, before we pray, let me just clarify that last little part. So Chemosh was the principal god of the Moabites. Bethel was a town that the Israelites set up as a place of idolatry. So God's basically saying to Moab, you worship Chemosh, a false god? Did you see what happened to Israel when they worshiped false gods in Bethel? The same result is going to happen to you. So that's kind of the tone here, and that's the background. We're going to actually hone in on verse 11, but before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time now in your word. We pray that you would use this passage of scripture to Speak to our hearts today, Lord, and may we just not hear it, but may we apply it. May we consider what you're saying to each of us and take these things personally as to what you would have us to do in response. So, Lord, bless this time in your word. May you be glorified through our worship, through our fellowship, and now as we study your word together. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you've been living here in Loudoun County very long, you may have noticed that um, it's increasingly becoming wine country around here. There's a vineyard in, in every turn, especially when you get out to western Loudoun. We're not exactly Napa Valley, but this place has certainly become better known for its vineyards. Uh, by the way, I heard yesterday on the news that in Napa Valley, California, they're actually changing out their grape vineyards and starting to plant marijuana. So, uh, whatever. It's California. Anyway. Uh, You might be interested to know that as of 2016, the Commonwealth of Virginia has approximately 2,600 acres of vineyards with a total harvest of over 6,500 tons of grapes each year. Virginia ranks fifth in the nation for both bearing acreage and grape production. The central and northern Virginia counties, like Loudoun, account for the significant majority of the Commonwealth's production. Now, I share this because, you know, here we are kind of living somewhat in wine country. It's interesting to note, if you perhaps noticed in reading through chapter 48 with me, that here in chapter 48 of Jeremiah, God uses a wine analogy to describe some major objections that he has with the spiritual condition of Moab. And these objections should serve to be good reminders to us and strong warnings to us to carefully consider what God had to say against Moab and recognize how it potentially 
could apply to us. So I'm going to highlight just verse 11. I'll put it on the screen for you from chapter 48. And this is what it said. Moab has been at rest from youth like wine left on its dregs, not poured from one jar to another. She has not gone into exile, so she tastes as she did, and her aroma is unchanged. There are basically three objections that God raises that we should be concerned about, and I'm going to highlight these objections in yellow for you on the verse by pointing out three particular words. God talks about rest, He talks about dregs, and He talks about aroma. And so we're going to use kind of this Old Testament example here to kind of bring to bear on our New Testament Christian experiences. And so based on these three words and God's indictment against Moab here, I would basically like to summarize God's concerns in these three ways using these three words based on rest, dregs, and aroma. What God is basically warning us about is a Christian life, number one, that is sedentary. Number two, he warns us about a Christian life that has sediment. And number three, he warns us about a Christian life that has no scent. And so I'm going to talk about each one of these three. We're going to start with the first one first. He talks about here in this passage about a Christian life, basically just drawing a parallel from Old Testament about a Christian life that is sedentary. The first thing that he points to is that Moab has been living a life of rest, or some of your translations use the word ease. They've been living a life of ease. They've been living a life of rest. And God doesn't mean this in a complimentary way. In the way that we would say to somebody who's really worked a hard day, or they've had a really hard week or a hard month, you deserve some rest. You've worked really hard. You deserve that. It's not meant in a complimentary way. Quite the opposite. God is indicting these people because they have been spiritually lazy. He indicts them for being apathetic and unmotivated about the things of God not having any real zeal for God or any spiritual fervor for the things of God. This is his concern for them. They've been sitting around. They've not been engaged. They've been apathetic about things spiritually. Now, how do we know that this is not a complimentary thing that he's saying here? This is actually a rebuking thing because of verse 10, right before this verse. In verse 10, God says, a curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work. So that's the context, and then that's when he goes into talking about how Moab has been at rest from youth. And notice that, she's been at rest from youth. This is not suddenly something that Moab has been doing wrong, where suddenly she just became apathetic and lazy. She's been doing this from youth for a long time, in other words. Moab has been spiritually disengaged. They've had no real interest in doing the things of God and following the ways of God. They've been apathetic. They've been unconcerned. The prophet Zephaniah, by the way, who also has a book named after him in the Old Testament, Zephaniah was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And Zephaniah ministered also during the same time that Jeremiah did to the people of Judah. And God said something very similar through Zephaniah in Zephaniah 1 verse 12. He said, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs. Now, here's how I think that we should apply this challenge to us. When he says about Moab, they've been sitting around too long. They're too sedentary. They're they're too lazy spiritually. I think that we should be challenged because unfortunately, too many Christians are content to coast. There are people who love Jesus. They've had a relationship with him, but they are otherwise not engaged. They're apathetic. 
They're complacent about the things of God. They're indifferent about doing the Lord's work. And if we've ever lived in a time, it's now when we cannot afford to be apathetic. Christians must really be engaged and step it up and be a part of our world and our culture and make a difference. And I think that there are four simple ways I'd like to suggest to us that we can do the Lord's work, because that's what he's saying here. Moab's been too sedentary. They haven't been doing the Lord's work. They've been lazy about it. And I made like a little acronym out of the word rise, as in we need to rise up and really start to be more engaged here. And so using that acronym, here's the first one, I think is just a simple way, but it's a very important way that we can be doing the Lord's work. And the first one is raising our families in the ways of the Lord. Raising our families in the ways of the Lord. The Lord's work begins at home. It begins with our own families. It's husbands and wives reading together, praying together, cultivating their relationship together, making sure that they're both you know, honoring God in their relationship and in their home. It's parents who are reading the Bible with their kids and who are praying with their kids and who are shaping their kids in terms of their worldview through a biblical lens. It's giving hope to your children about who God is and who Jesus Christ is who died on a cross and helping them to understand about salvation through Jesus and and just bringing that to bear even in your home. That's where the Lord's work first begins. Your home is your most important ministry. Your family is your priority in terms of where the Lord's work starts. If it doesn't start there, where will it start? And the family that prays together stays together. We know this, but we've got to be intentional about this because there is this ongoing battle to capture the hearts and minds of your kids. And so we have to be intentional as parents in our home to influence them in the ways of the Lord with the word of the Lord. So raising our families is a simple way we could be doing the Lord's work, but an important way. Secondly, influencing our society. We need to be doing the Lord's work by influencing our society. And I'm going to suggest to you, and I know this causes some people some angst, but I'm going to suggest to you that one of the major avenues, not the only, but one of the major avenues for Christians today to influence our society is through the political process. It's through the political process. Now, I'm going to ask you true or false. I'm going to ask you a question. True or false People who don't share our values are wise about using the political process to advance their agenda in our nation. True or false? It's true. It's undeniable. They are relentless about using the legal system to promote their ideas. And if we as Christians are complacent and silent, we will end up with a nation that neither honors God nor resembles anything like what our founding fathers had in mind when this nation was started. 29 out of 56 of our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, 29 out of 56 had seminary or Bible school degrees. And they understood that Christianity would shape their understanding of the formation of this nation. Our nation was founded by predominantly Christian men with Christian influence to bring about a nation that would be founded on the Word of God to bring glory to God. The founders who signed the Declaration of Independence acknowledged God at the beginning of the Declaration with the words that we are all endowed 
with certain unalienable rights by our Creator. And then at the end of the declaration, they signed with the words, a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. They were creating a country with the freedom of religion, not the freedom from religion, which is unfortunately where we're trending today. And although all religions are welcomed to be freely practiced here, it was the Christian faith that became the basis for our laws and government. John Quincy Adams once said, quote, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. The founding fathers substantiated ideas based on the Bible for things like the separation of powers. Did you know that the separation of powers came from the founding fathers' understanding of Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We need to have separation of powers. They substantiated the three branches of government from Isaiah 33, 22, which says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us. The judicial, the legislative, and the executive branches were all derived from Isaiah 33, 22. They also got the idea of tax exemption for churches from Ezra 7.24, which says, You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. But today, Christians have either been brainwashed into thinking that politics have no place in the church or the church has no place in politics, or Christians have become downright naive and passive about the way that our communities and our country is being hijacked by a progressive agenda that is completely contrary to God. I'm not suggesting that by influencing our society in terms of the political process, that somehow then government will solve the problem of our social ills. Government is not the solution. The gospel is. And government is not the savior. Jesus is. So we need to understand that clearly. What I am saying, however, is Psalm thirty-three, twelve, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that we can affect how much God is the Lord of our nation by how much Christians are involved in that process. By voting our values and even running for office and being engaged in this process. It is an avenue for making an important influence on in our society. Because those who are trying to advance an agenda that is contrary to what we understand is true biblically, they're going to use that political process. So why should we abdicate our moral responsibility by denying God's rightful place in our home, in our churches, and in our government, abdicating it to those who have no intention of exalting God in those ways? It's important. Number three, the S word on rise is sharing our faith. Tell others about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Share your stories with them. People might take issue with the topic of Jesus and the topic of Christianity, but out of an ounce of respect, they'll at least listen to your story. And you can at least tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you can at least be a living testimony of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And you can share with people what he's done for you, how he's changed you. Now, hopefully they're noticing it too if they've known you for any period of time. They've noticed how transforming your life has become. And hopefully by living a life that demonstrates the transforming work of Christ, 
it will raise curiosity in their hearts and minds to want to ask you what's going on in your life. I want some of that. Hopefully our lives are lived in such a way that Christ is contagious in us. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the Weeping Prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor. And because of his young age, he was not always well received. No doubt this influenced his writings. And because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the Weeping Prophet. However, this did not stop him, and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet, Jeremiah, today on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.